Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. I want to thank you for those of you who've prayed for me this past week after my head-on crash with a tree about eight days ago last Saturday. I'm feeling a little better, still a little sore. And some of you commented uh, that my sermon last Sunday was very impactful. In fact, I tend to preach my best sermons when I almost die the day before. (laughs) It was a pretty safe day yesterday. But the word of God is still impactful, right? Amen. Amen. Let me pray before we get going. Lord, I just ask you to speak to us through your word to stir up. Maybe our hearts are complacent. Maybe our church is complacent. We do a lot of routines and sometimes we get stuck in a rut and you want to draw us out of that complacency. And the way you do it this morning is amazing by showing us the beauty of Christ. May we see it and believe it. And may our hearts be drawn to Christ and push out everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. My last church was in Evanston, Illinois, right by Northwestern University. And one of our locations, since we never owned a building, was underneath uh, Panera Bread Company. It was a restaurant right on the main drag there. And it was interesting. We had often had uh, drinks fall down on top of us through the ceiling. Uh, but one time, there, we started to f- notice that concrete was falling. It was actually an old Marshall Fields building. We were in the basement of that under Panera, which now occupied it. And concrete was falling like in our nursery and different places. And we thought, you know what? We can't meet here anymore. So on a spur of the moment, we had to figure out where to go. And we had to mobilize our congregation to go and meet in a hotel transfer everything over there, and a lot of people could have been freaking out, but I was actually glad because I think it's helpful from time to time for churches to be jolted. Let's just say if there was any complacency there, it can be kind of shaken out of us because at times we get into routines where we come to church We sit in the same pew, go to the same classrooms. Everything is same. And sometimes we can get complacent. And it takes sometimes things like a pandemic to jolt us and to shake us out of complacency and make us ask the questions such as this. What are we doing? Are we willing to be inconvenienced for Christ? Are we willing to lay down our lives for Christ? I want you to think about this pandemic that's been going on the past couple years and the way that it's been 
impacting the American church. And perhaps it's a dry run of things to come. Perhaps it's a dry run of a greater calamity that's going to come upon us, perhaps even persecution in the future. And you want to ask the question, how did the church do during the dry run? And I would say not very good. It has exposed the church in America and in my heart. It is exposed to people who are fearful. Exposed to people who now want to get all political. And most of all, it's exposed the church to be lackadaisical. If you notice, we often fear the way the world fears. That should not be. And when things are not going our way, we've noticed the church is trying to get way too political to pull things off. That should not be. But most of all, it's exposed the church to be lackadaisical. Where we can take church or leave it, because I don't know if you know this, but for the most part, across the board, in the church in America, one-third of the people have disappeared. Whether it's this church, any other church, disappeared. Because I think the attitude has now become, we can take it or we can leave it. So on this dry run of pandemic of things to come, has it shaken us out of our complacency? Mm, Not so sure. Think about you as an individual. Think about your life, how you can just be cruising along, complacent, stuck in a rut, not really caring about things of the Lord, and something happens to jolt you, maybe like a wreck or problems in your marriage or something failing in your health that wakes you up to ask the question, what am I doing? Am I willing to be inconvenienced for Christ? Am I willing to lay down my life for Christ? You see, the book we just read is the book of Hebrews, where it's a people who are being persecuted for their faith. And many of them are asking the question, what am I doing? Am I willing to be inconvenienced for Christ? I'm not so sure. Am I willing to lay down my life for Christ? I'm not so sure. They're complacent. They are what we would call stuck in a rut. They are not progressing in their spiritual life. In fact, the author says things that says you're not paying careful attention to this gospel. You're ignoring such a great salvation. You are immature. They were paralyzed, complacent, lazy, apathetic. And what's going to happen through this book of Hebrews is he's trying to wake them up from their complacency. Now, how can you tell if you are a complacent Christian? And there's a lot of ways. I've read about a lot of ways, but let me just throw some at you. Here's some things that you can tell if you're a complacent Christian. Number one, we think too highly of ourselves. That is to say, I think we're pretty good. We're not as bad as those people over there. Maybe that makes you complacent. You can be complacent when, number two, we are self-sufficient. I got this. There's no dependence. There's no desperation on the Lord. I got this. We're self-sufficient. Or number three, we're comfortable with the ways of the world. Sometimes we don't realize just how worldly we are. And the fourth, we're content to go through the religious motions of church without heart engagement. And the question is, If we find ourselves in complacency, how do we get out of it? 
What does the book of Hebrews say how we get out of it? I would say three ways, and we're not going to cover all three, but it seems like the author says, look, this is how you can get out of complacency. God is going to discipline you. (laughs) We're coming to that later in Hebrews. Another way to get out of this complacency is that God is going to warn you of what could happen if you don't wake up. We've been seeing a lot of that. But the third way, get this, is by showing you the beauty of Jesus. So not warning you, not disciplining you, but showing you, look what you can have in Jesus. There's this preacher many years ago, preached a sermon, his most famous sermon that he's preached. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I wish my titles could be that cool. The expulsive power of a new affection. And and the idea is rather than just saying no to sin, turning away from sin, there is this replacing power of joy in Christ that pushes out sin and makes Christ look good where we are out of our complacent rut. Uh, John Piper explained it this way. He said, he was once tested and quizzed by some scientists who, who showed him a beaker and said, how do you get the air out of this beaker, right? You have all this equipment. How do you get the air out of it? And it, and it was kind of a trick question. Well, the way you get the air out of a beaker is you just pour water into it. How do we grow in Christ out of this complacent rut? We are, have our hearts filled with the beauty of Christ, expulsive power of this greater affection that pushes out all complacency. And that's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at the beauty and sufficiency of Christ in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to see that Jesus has a superior high priest. He mediates a superior covenant, has a superior sacrifice, and serves in a superior tabernacle in the presence of God. And chapter 10 is repeating a lot of what we've seen so far. He's continuing to lift up the superiority of Jesus so they will purse on their faith and not turn away. Start with verse 1 of chapter 10. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, Make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what's going on here is the author is arguing like this because the Hebrews may be tempted to turn back to Judaism. So what he's doing, he's demonstrating that that system was provisional and also ineffective. Because the law and everything associated with it, like the tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrifices, were all a shadow pointing to the greater reality found in Jesus. I want you to understand this. The law... It's just temporary and inadequate shadow that couldn't take care of the sin problems by its repeated sacrifices year after year. It couldn't purge the guilty conscience of the worshiper and it couldn't offer a definitive forgiveness of sins. So the worshiper is left at a distance, unable to draw near to the presence of God. And he's telling the Hebrews, why would you want to go back to the shadow when you can have the real thing of Jesus Christ? Why turn back to the shadow? 
I mean, you can think about it this way. I don't want to go on a date with my wife's shadow. I don't want to hug my wife's shadow. I don't want to have a conversation with my wife's shadow. I want the real thing, my wife. And the Hebrews were tempted to go back to the shadow of Judaism and leave the real thing of Jesus. And he's thinking, why would they do that? Because they're being pressed. They're being persecuted. They're being challenged in their faith. And they're tempted to revert back to old things. Continue on. Verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come and the scroll of the book, it is written to me to do your will, O God. So here we go. He's lifting up Jesus, this expulsive power of a new affection. He's quoting here Psalm 46 through 8. And we have the son addressing the father. In this address, we have Jesus who came into the world as obedient son, who did the father's will completely through the sacrifice of his body on the cross. And his superior sacrifice is in contrast to the sacrifices and the offerings of the Old Testament, which could not please the Lord. So let's look at the author's interpretation of this Old Testament quote. Verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to law, Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All right. The first is the old covenant along with its sacrificial system that has been set aside now that the second, Jesus' period sacrifice is on the scene. So the shadow is no longer necessary. You don't need to have all those rituals and tabernacles and sacrifices and priests because all that is just a shadow. The new covenant is inaugurated. We have Jesus' obedience on the cross. We can be holy through him and him alone. Okay, so let's concentrate on something. Look at verse 10 again. It says, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus Christ only had to die one time, not over and over again. And through his life, we have been sanctified or made holy. So here's the deal. The only way you can get into the presence of the Father one day is by complete holiness. And that is only through the sacrifice of Jesus, who is bearing the wrath of God in your place on the cross, buried, rose again. Those who trust him, put their faith in him, have his righteousness given to them or imputed to them so the Father sees you as perfect and holy. And my brothers and sisters, we are called to die for that message. That that message is so important that there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ, and we will herald that message and preach that message no matter what happened to us. Because we believe that that is the most important message ever. Now, here's the deal. As a church and as individuals, we think because we believe this truth and we believe the Bible, everything's going to be smooth, I mean, I don't know how many of you thought once you became a Christian, now things are going to get much better in your life. 
which often doesn't happen. Let me show you a little image I saw this uh, last week. Do we even have this image? This is me on my bike. At the top is my plan. I'm going to go straight. But it's often God's plan down below. So you see the guy on the bike. Uh, he goes down in the valley, has to go over some rocks. And he goes back up. Oh, but he's got to cross a ladder. And then he goes down again on a boat, up again. Now he's got storms. So that's kind of like life, right? So we think, okay, this is going to be smooth. This is my plan. And then it doesn't go so away. So I don't know what the Hebrews thought when they signed up for following Jesus, that it was all going to be smooth. And I think at first they were okay because they were willing to give away their property. They were visiting those in prison. They were all on board. But then they're thinking, you know, this is too hard. There's a way it's supposed to be and then the way it actually is. And what we're saying corporately and individually is that, hey, we're going to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. We will stay with this gospel no matter what. We won't go back to shadows. We won't go back to anything else because in Christ and Christ alone is our only hope. Let's continue on. Verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected all time those who are sanctified. Now I want you to notice that Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the Father. And you think, okay, what's the significance of Jesus sitting down? Well, what are the Old Testament priests doing? They're scurrying about. They're not sitting down. They're continually making sacrifices for sin over and over and over again. What's Jesus doing? Sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Why? It is finished. It's done. No continual sacrifices. One sacrifice and done. Why would you ever want to go back to the shadows? Why would you want to ever go back to the sacrifices that doesn't offer a definitive forgiveness of sins? Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the Father. It is finished. Now let's meditate on a little verse right here. Look at verse 14 again. Let's meditate on this. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So we're saying by one sacrifice, Jesus makes us perfect forever. In God's sight, we are perfect forever. But we are also those who are sanctified or those who are being sanctified or those who are being made holy. Think about it. Are you holy before the Lord? Are you perfect before the Lord? Yes. Are you in practice continuing to grow in your faith? And the answer is yes. So we have the perfect righteousness of Christ, and we want to walk in that holiness. So we are those who are holy and who are being made holy. And it's this idea you need to understand when you're going through the, the hills and the valleys, right, that you are being sanctified and you're growing. And when these times dip down in your life, it's not time to turn away. It's time to keep going forward in Jesus Christ. Let's think about sanctification this way. Let's think about growth in Christ this way. Let's think about the expulsive power of a new affection this way. All right, there's a lot of trees in the village, if you haven't noticed. And on some of those trees, I can see out the window right now, are some dead leaves. Now, 
I want you to go out there and I'll assign each of you a section of the village to start pulling the dead leaves off the trees. That's going to take a while. Not going to happen. But what you will notice here in a bit when spring comes like this week, um, you'll notice that the new life, the new growth is going to push out the dead leaves. As we are following the Lord, you'll notice that the more and more we are filled with his word, filled with his spirit, it's going to push out those things that are dead in our lives, those things that are shadows we return to. That is a, that's a growth and sanctification. Why? Because you are holy and you're being made holy. You're perfect and you're walking in this perfection, leaving it and walking it out as a new growth is pushing out the dead stuff in your life. Continue on. As he's about to finish it up here with some really good stuff. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. Once again, a new covenant quotation here from Jeremiah 31, which we started back in chapter 8. It's picked up again. And it's revealed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the new covenant gives believers a decisive forgiveness of sins. That is to say that God does not count our sins against us, and he keeps us in his presence forever. Now notice, not only are we made holy, but we are being made holy. And the new covenant says that your old heart has been taken out and a new heart has been put in. And now your new heart is malleable. It's sensitive to the Lord. It's sensitive to his leading. So the old heart has been replaced with a new heart. And as I told you a few weeks ago, now that you're a believer in Jesus, you've been turned into an incurable God lover. You are an incurable God lover. By his grace, by his power, by his spirit, you're going to walk in the Holy Spirit's power. It's definitive, you're forgiven, but it's ongoing. Your heart has been replaced, but these new affections are continuing to grow. I want you to just think about this replacement and this displacement uh, of sin. And there's so many different ways you could, could explain this. Let's just say you notice a kid and he's somehow went to the kitchen and grabbed a knife and he just thought it was great to play with knives. Now you could go up to him and say, put that knife down right now. Or you could go up to him and say, give me that knife and try to wrestle it away from him. Or you can say, look at this toy. Wouldn't you rather have this? Or look at this video game system. Wouldn't you rather have this? You see how this is working in our Christian lives? There are commands, stop doing that, right? And there are ways that we can wrestle the sin out of your life where we put to death sin. God disciplines us. But what the Lord is also doing, he's saying, look at the beauty of Jesus. Drop the sin in your life. Drop the apathy in your life. Wake up to the realities of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for you. 
Do you understand this expulsive power of a new affection? There's this displacement going on where the good is coming in of Christ and the old is going out and being put to death. And the question is, how can you live this way every day? How can you have a heart every day that is allowing this growth to take place and to push out the sin? And I've been thinking about that. I was like, because I rarely, I rarely give you like action steps. I rarely give you these points of application because I want you to take the word and be changed in your affections. So I, I was reading a lot this week. And I was thinking, Lord, what, what can I give the people here that they can let the affections of Christ grow in them and push out that which is apathetic, lazy, indifferent, lackadaisical. And, and I found this prayer such a simple prayer. It's like a one-line prayer. And uh, if you want to write it down, that's fine. But you can say this prayer in the morning, noon, night, all the time if you want your heart to start to be changed. And you'll see the connection here in a second. And, and the prayer, I read it goes, goes like this. <laughs> Lord Jesus, you have given me so much. Give me one more thing. A grateful heart. Amen. Lord Jesus, you have given me so much. I just want one more thing. I want the ability to be grateful, thankful for what you have done in my life through your sacrifice, your resurrection, your ongoing presence by your Holy Spirit. God, make me grateful for what I have and may that push out all these other things. So here's a simple prayer. I encourage you to pray it every day this week. Lord Jesus, you've given me so much to me. Give me one more thing, a grateful heart. Two o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep. <laughs> Lord Jesus, you've given so much to me. Give me one more thing, a grateful heart. To make you appreciate what you have in Christ. So the new growth can push out the deadness. And I can't think of a more greater way to lift up the superiority of Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection and exaltation than to right now at this moment share with you the Lord's Supper, communion, that we're going to take together to have our affections continually formed. And you got to wonder, why do we take communion over and over and over again? Does this mean that when we take communion, we are re-sacrificing Jesus over and over again? I want to make sure you get this. Are we re-sacrificing Jesus by taking communion? The answer would be no. This is not literal body and blood of Jesus where we're re-sacrificing him and again. This is a remembrance. Remember when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we come to this time where we remember his sacrifice, superior sacrifice for us by eating of the bread and drinking of the wine or juice to remember his blood spilled for us. So if you want to take these cups that are in front of you, should be in the pew in front of you. And, and you, don't, you only take this if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, just watch what we're doing. I mean, really, unbelievers should be stunned. Like, what are you doing? You're taking a meal to remember someone's death? A brutal death? Exactly. For that's our salvation, that's our hope. So as we take the bread, we remember 
The night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember the body of Christ broken for us. Take and eat. In the same way, after the bread, took the cup. He's saying, do this, do this in remembrance and remembrance and remembrance of me. Let's take and drink. We are told that when we take this meal, we are proclaiming the death of Jesus until he comes again. And in him we find forgiveness and grace and mercy through faith in him. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.